Hey there, and welcome to episode number 34 of the Melbourne Northern Suburbs podcast with myself, Adam Roach. Now, in this episode, I actually go back to the archives of my other podcast called Become a Guitarist Today with my interview with Ian Archibald, who is a local country rock artist from Whittlesea, but now actually living in Kilmore. But at the time, he was in Whittlesea. So the first half of the podcast is from episode number six of Become a Guitarist Today, which was back in late 2017, where we got to find out all about how Ian first got started with his first teacher, which was me, and the way he went on from there with other teachers and any influences and everything else. Now, the second half of the podcast is from episode number 17 of Become a Guitarist Today, which was in early 2018, which was actually a phone interview where we broke down the songs from his album and listened to little snippets of each song and find out some of the background to the songs as well. So it was a, a great little podcast. So together, I give you episode 34 with Ian Archibald. All right, so here I am with uh, Ian Archibald. Yeah, thanks, thanks for making it down. I really appreciate it. Not a problem at all. So I want to start with just um, like how you first started, how old you were, your influences, sure. what, what made you start playing guitar? Uh, I, was, I was about 12 years old and uh, when I actually first started with yourself. Growing up, my old man and my mum sort of were always had live music on, well, not necessarily live music, but music always on, sort of just around the house, you know. And mm. um, one of my sort of, oldest memories or ones that sort of really made me want to play the guitar was dad had a laser disc which was kind of like the predecessor of the dvds so it was video and audio and it was he had pink floyd pulse which was sort of like pink floyd's big sort of live album in mm. i think it was 94 95 something like that and dad used to always have it on every i'd basically wake up on a saturday morning to hearing this album on in uh you know in the big big sound system that he had and, and all that sort of thing so i, I really started with um and at first, I hated it. Like, I was just like, not this bloody album again. I was just so over it. And he used to love the song Great Gig in the Sky. That was like the one he always... That was the one that was you'd normally always wake up to because, you know, it's, mm. it's very... Ah, sort, of, sort of thing. So it was kind of like an alarm clock. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I grew up sort of not liking it at all. And then one day, we were sort of having a house party and I was probably the only kid there. So I was just mm. sort of just sitting in the lounge room and just watching the TV. And, and then um, Comfortably Numb came on. It was the first time I actually properly watched and listened to what was happening on the TV. Normally, I just sort of just, you know, walk past or just tried to ignore it or think about something else. Yeah. And like the, the the Pink Floyd Pulse, Comfortably Numb, second solos, there's obviously mm. two solos in that song. The second solo, it's, it's like nearly five, six, seven minutes long. It's yeah. an epic solo. And I just remember just watching it, just absolutely in awe, just going, wow, like so much sound was coming from one guy with his guitar, and that mm. was it. You know, and the whole stage show was sort of centered around this solo and all that sort of thing. And I just went, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I just from there it just started to sort of pick up, and then I also started really noticing um, Die Straits and Mark Knopfler. And mm-hmm. when I first started playing guitar, Mum and Dad 
found a CD in, in a bargain basement, which was um, it was Mark Knopfler's selling Philadelphia album, mm. and that was a massive turning point for me because that album just just changed music for me forever. Like, it was probably one of the only CDs I think I've literally worn out, yeah. you know, which is hard to do with a CD, but yeah. I listened to it that many times because it was just so cool and it had kind of this Celtic Celtic kind of vibe going on mm. throughout it, which sort of had, I don't know, it's like it woke up an internal sort of yeah. heritage within me, which kind of went, oh, that's so cool. And, and just the way Mark sort of approaches guitar playing as well. And, yeah. and so, yeah, that, it was just that. It was just listening to music at first and then mm. realising that a lot of the sounds I liked was the guitar. So I just sort of looked into learning and, and yeah, the rest is sort of history. Yeah. So. <laughs> so it was like grade six or year seven? Well, I, it was sort of grade six that all of that stuff sort of happened. Then I was like, oh, this is cool and I wanted to learn. And yeah. then, um, and at the time, like the school didn't have any music program, anything like that. Yeah. And then I went to year seven and the, the, the school that I went to, the primary school and the high school were on the same property, yeah. but they were two separate schools. And, um, and then yourself, you came in with whatever the company was. Yeah, Metro Music. Metro, that's the one, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And came in when I was in year seven, and my yeah. brother was started learning with you, I think, as well. That's right. yeah. And um, so I, I basically, I think I spoke with yourself or Metro or something and said, would it be possible for me to come in my lunch break, you know, so that way it didn't affect sort of the structure of the school and mm. all that sort of thing and, and still get lessons because I was really wanting to learn. And it, yeah, it worked out. And so, <laughs> yeah, so I was, it was year seven that I officially started, so, yeah. which I think was 2000, year 2000. So. Okay. Well, yeah. a long time ago. Yeah, it's a few years ago now. <laughs> Takes me back. Yeah. Ah, the millennium bug. <laughs> oh, that's great. So so from there, how long did I teach you for? Was it two years? or? I think it was, yeah, two or three years because we, we started at, at school. I think I did a yep. year at the school yep. and then I think I did a couple of years privately with you. So I think it was two or three years, something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And then from there? From there, yeah. I... Um, I, I was getting lessons at high school with a sort of a different teacher, one of the teachers yep. that was at the school. Um, I was doing a lot more sport at the time as well, so I kind of just, the, you know, the stuff didn't line up anymore. Mm. So, uh, And one of the good things, actually, was that the, the guy at the school was, he wasn't the greatest guitarist, but he was yep. really theoretical. Okay. So he taught me a lot of the theory and stuff that, you know, you're not, you don't necessarily want to learn, but you sort of yeah, should yeah. learn. Yeah. So he was really good at that. And then after that, um, I started getting lessons with John Dallimore, who was you know, mm-hmm. a, you know, a really sort of prominent figure in, in guitar and mm-hmm. sort of Australian music from... In the background, though, not sort of the front guy. And yep. um, Yeah, and, and then I learned with him for, I think, two years while I was sort of in VCE. Yep. And then he was teaching at JMC Academy um, in South Melbourne okay. and he sort of recommended as I was finishing VCE because I wanted to pursue music but I wasn't exactly mm. sure how to go about it mm. and he said well check out JMC you know, like it's a really great performing industry sort of yeah. place and so I went and checked out the open day and thought it was really cool and, and John was also one of the lecturers there who sort of kept doing guitar so I ended up learning with John for about five years I think and oh wow yeah that was he was just sort of he was just a next level dude, you know. Yeah. Just being in the room with him, you're learning stuff without even actually learning, just watching the way he played and stuff. Yeah. Really, yeah. That's and uh, and also sort of throughout that, there was another guy called Brendan Mason who, um, he was in a band called Mad Lake in the 70s, Australian mm. band. And um, he's he's still to this day my guitar tech. Um, yeah. but, and he just, he was just a kind of a mental figure who... You know, when mm. you're going through and be like, oh, this is really cool. You're, you know, how do I change this with the guitar or new pickups or something? You know, just yeah. all those sort of nerdy questions. That yeah. And he was the guy who sort of was more than willing to help. And mm. and just a really genuine 
you know supportive person as well which yeah. is which is hard to find sometimes in the music industry is to find someone who actually uh, selfishly support you and help you with sort of stuff um, yeah without any sort of want of return so yeah no, very good. Yeah. So really, just come down to your first teacher, though. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. It all started there, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, that's good. But yeah. ironically, actually, yeah. being a teacher myself, you know, for a few years as well, is that the one thing that I picked up that you definitely did right was techniques. Uh, make sure good. the technique was right, and yeah, yeah. that sort of set me up for the for everything else. So, yeah. no, that's good, it's yeah. good to know. <laughs> I have a lot of students that come through that have that have had bad first teachers. Yeah. The technique shocking, and you almost have to start again just to get yeah. them to be able to do anything. So, yeah. I mean, it's always good for me to see my students go on to, yeah, yeah, you know, it's probably been about maybe four or five, but yep. like yourself and yeah, yeah, yeah. a few other guys are teaching now as well. So, awesome, yeah, oh, so go. that's good. good stuff, good to see. <laughs> yeah, so. so your main inspiration, David Gilmore, yeah, David Gilmore, Mark Knopfler, Mark probably Knopfler. The, the two you know, bigger ones, and then, yeah, and then sort of as I as I sort of hit around about 17, 18, I, I fell in sort of just by chance in country music. Yeah. And so... Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about like, how that come about. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's a similar story to sort <laughs> of like Pink, the Pink Floyd story was that mum used to always have the country music channel on Foxhell and we'd okay. always have it on. And same thing, you used to hate it, drawing me nuts. <laughs> and like 99% of Australians, you know, country music's, you know... Yeah. You know, but it's not country music is, is yeah, yeah. that was country music in the 50s and yeah. 60s and it's nothing like that anymore mm. and um, but being the cliche sort of thing and, and being you know around 17, 18 as well being a little smart ass and you know, <laughs> knowing everything yeah. um, I never really listened to it the only one I'd kind of tune into was um, Keith Urban yeah, and that yeah. was just because he was just a freak, you know, yeah. and you'd, you'd listen to some of the stuff, and it was kind of, to me at the time, it was kind of a bit cheesy, some of the stuff he was doing, yeah. but that was like the, the bleached mullet era of, of Keith Urban, so that was, mm. that was almost kind of the cheesy era of Keith Urban, <laughs> yeah. so it all sort of lined up as well, as at that time I started to learn to sing, yeah. and um, having a bass baritone voice, which I hadn't known or anything, and, and trying to sing up until that point, mm. um, you know, just by myself, like it was just, it sounded like a, a really, really you know, in pain cat. It was not pretty. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the time, it was just because I just couldn't get anywhere near the pitch of the notes because yeah. 90% of the people I listened to were such high-pitched singers mm. or just, you know, tenor males so really just up in the register. And without any training to try and get anywhere near those notes was impossible. Mm. And um, so once I started lessons, I found out I was a bass baritone, which sort of answered a lot of questions. The, the vocal coach was basically like, oh, you can listen to a lot of Nick Cave stuff. And I was like, Yay, you know, like Nick's a, an amazing artist, but yeah. it just his music wasn't anything that I liked. Yeah. And then by chance, I sat down in front of the TV one day, ready to change the channel, and a guy called Trace Adkins came on. And I don't, do you know Trace? Yeah. Okay. So Trace is like six foot six, and he's mm. this absolute mountain of a dude. Like he's, he's muscly, he's <laughs> just like the epitome of masculinity. You know, you look <laughs> at him and go, yeah, yeah, you know, he's a big cowboy. Yeah. And um, the music was this sort of bluesy rock crossover thing. It was really kind of dark and ominous, and but in that cool kind of way. Mm. And then he started singing. His first song was Armageddon, and I was like, "Whoa, that's so deep!" <laughs> and it was so. I just realised that. Hang on a sec. Like there, mm. there's a genre of music that actually celebrates bass baritones mm. and, and deeper voices. And so if, uh, then I got into Trace's stuff, and he had a lot of guitar driven music man like one of the riffs that kind of you know and it was just this really fat huge 
sound, it's like, that's not country, but it was. Yeah. It was modern country. Yeah. And um, and so it sort of, it worked for me on both levels that it had my kind of rock background, but it had yeah. some songs I could actually sing. Yeah. And so I kind of fell into country through that. So. Okay. Yeah. So you'll start what more uh, country rock, would you country say? Rock. Yeah, definitely yeah. country rock. And, and like I was just saying, it's, it's that... It, it's not intentionally country rock. It's mm. because I love country music, but all my past and heritage is all deeply kind of rock music. Yeah, yeah. So without trying, it just becomes country rock. So mm. it's more kind of like the music is rock and the yeah. lyrics and the harmonies and the yeah. you know the the, um, the stories and everything with the songs are kind of the country thing. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've started adding some more country guitar playing within it, but okay. I'm not the best country guitarist. So <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, it's it's... It's a real hybrid these days. We sort of found these days that um, we're kind of like, if you take modern country, what it is in Nashville and everything at the moment, you sort of cross that with like traditional Aussie rock, you know, like ACDC and, um, and, uh, you know, like Cold Chisel and and even sort of, um, I've forgotten the name now. Angels. <laughs> that sort of like heavy eight rhythm sort of stuff like that. Just yep. really sort of chunky guitar driven music. Yeah. Sort of blending that with that modern Nashville sort of thing and, and that seems to kind of be where our sound is at the moment. Okay. So you're the main songwriter for you? Yeah, main songwriter at, at the moment. I've started doing, you know, a lot more co rock uh, up until sort of about a year or two ago. Uh, I'd written everything just by myself. Okay. And uh, and then I did a co write with a guy named Troy Kemp who sort of used to be a really big name. Sorry, that sounded harsh. Not used to be. Still is a big <laughs> name in the country music scene. But yeah. he, he was in a duo called McAllister Kemp. And they were pretty much as big as you could get in Australian mm. country music. They were huge. And they were country rock. Okay. And um, and they sort of went their separate ways. And so he's sort of... He's a lesser name by himself or, you know, doesn't have the, the huge success that they had. But yeah. he's still an amazing artist and songwriter. And so mm. by chance, I ran into them. They were doing like a signing and meet and greet on the street in Tamworth during the country music festival. I just went up and said g'day and, and sort of said, you know, I knew that those two did a lot of songwriting with other people yeah. and just sort of said, you know, hey, how do I go about writing a song with, with yeah. one of you guys? And the, they both went, here's our number, just give us a call. Uh-huh. And I was like, wow, you know, like, <laughs> who does that? And so That's great. And Troy lives in Newcastle, so I flew up to Newcastle to write a song with him. So now going on to um, your music. Yep. So how can people get onto you? And Look, the, the easiest way is just, you know, just Google Ian Archibald Band. Like, yep. it, it, we've sort of got to that point now where we're starting to come up number one when you search Ian Archibald Band. Oh, good. <laughs> but yeah, or ianarchibald.com. But yep. the, the hardest thing is that my, my name's spelt weird, so it's I-A-I-N archibald.com. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, ironically, out of anything in the world that Ian Archibald in the UK is just I-A-N archibald.com, Mm. Uh, which I've tried to get in contact with him by his domain, but I just can't. Uh, he happens to be an amateur musician. You know? oh, really? So everyone goes to that website first and they're just like, yeah, man, your website's a bit rough, you know. <laughs> nice pictures of your cat, though. You know? It's like, yeah, it's the wrong website. <laughs> so, yeah, so just, yeah, that or Facebook, you know, as well. I think that pretty much covers everything. Cool. So thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Always fun. Yeah, and hopefully we'll do it again soon. Yeah, damn straight. <laughs> thank you. Perfect. In this episode... We are going to break down his new album and he's going to give some insight to some of the techniques he used on the album and also how he come about some of the songs. So let's go over to the interview with Ian Archibald. So here I am with Ian Archibald once again. How are you? Yeah, very good. In the last podcast we went over all your 
techniques and how you started and everything. So with today, I just want to get into the new album if we can. Yeah, sounds good. All right, so we'll start with uh, track number one. It's, it's a dirty cool. job, but someone's got to do it. It's a great title, yep. by the way. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, so you got the little the slide intro and the outro. You played much slide before this, prior to this? Uh, I've always sort of dabbled a bit in slide, but I've never sort of properly put it into a song as a feature. You know, it had always sort of been just something in the background that might have just sort of filled up the, you know, the space a little bit or just added another layer. Um, and so, yeah, when we were, but I've been sort of practicing it a bit and, um, you know, listening to a lot to Joe Walsh and some of his stuff and a bit of Joe Bonamasha. We just wanted something that was going to start the album that was kind of, that would straight away tell the listeners, you know, that you're not listening to one of the older Ian Archibald band albums, you know, this is something new, this is something fresh, this is something a bit heavier, yeah. a little bit more rock orientated. Uh, yeah, it's sort of the, the slide just kind of fit, so we went, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. All right, so track number two, Living in a Small Town. I'm from now this one here, I really nice the harmonies in the chorus. That's what really stood out to me. Just the, yeah. the way they sit, you know, it's really good. So do you write most of the harmony lines? Yeah, so I um, I co-wrote that song with a guy named Damien Bagley. The British song, we just had this sort of, you know, mm. just like, <laughs> Yeah, we didn't have anything else. It was just that vocal line. Yep. So I kind of, when I got back to Melbourne, because he lives in Newcastle, when I got back to Melbourne, I started sort of doing a few demos on it and... Um, working on it and because all four of us in the band sing mm. it would be really cool to have a song where we can all sing you know at the same time yep. and the song it, the, the chord progression in the chorus is pretty straightforward you know it's a one four five then you know so i thought well it should be pretty damn easy to do a nice big harmony pattern there mm. and so yeah we just sort of worked it out luckily it kind of works out really well. John's got a low-pitched voice um, and Luke's got a sort of high-pitched voice and Cam sort of sits bang in the middle. So it's pretty easy when we're looking at harmonies. It's just, all right, so go to your default spots. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone just kind of finds their notes and it works really well. Yeah. And also the other thing that's in this song was the little solo part. I can hear like a Mark Knopfler influence with the finger-picking solo. Yeah, there was that, um, that, yeah, that yeah. sort of thing that was in there. And it, it, again, like every time when I do a demo, I kind of, I just improvise, you know, the solos. And, and it's weird, like sometimes it's the first take, you've never done anything else before there, you've never thought of anything before there. And and it was really weird, like that was one of the first things I played on the demo and I just listened back to it and I couldn't get away from it. You know, I tried to polish it up, try different stuff, do this, do that. Cool. All right, so let's go to track number three. 
Review Miro. So that's your single, isn't it? It is. It is. This is that was the first single that we released off the album, and uh, it's it's the one that's at, out on radio at the moment. Yep. And uh, yeah, doing doing the rounds with a few bits and pieces. So yeah, it's um it will also release a video clip for it, and so that one that was actually the my first proper co-write. So I co-wrote that one with a guy named Troy Kemp, and um he lives in Newcastle as well. So I wrote Review Mirror. And the next day I caught up with Damon. We wrote Living in Small Town. So oh, it was right. really productive two days that one. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so Troy kind of Troy's a, a really great songwriter, singer, guitarist as well. And he kind of had all the rhythm guitar parts down, or a lot of that, you know, the... He had all that. Yep. So when I was up there, and so I sort of was thinking about it. So that was sort of, that was the part that I just came up with on the spot. Yeah, they just worked together and went, oh, that's cool, that's really cool. And... um for that song, that sort of ending, to me, really stood out was that it needed something big at the end to kind of crescendo the whole song. Let's go to track number four, Summer Nights. Now, yeah. th- this one comes across a really well-written song. So oh, did you write you. this one, is that by yourself or co-written? This one, yeah, I did actually write this one by myself. Ah. It was, uh, I, I originally started this song, I, I kind of, there's been a bit of a movement in the country scene. There's this thing called Bro Country, which you may or may not have heard of it, but it was kind of, everyone was throwing up gang signs and, you know, that was sort of like R&B style singing over the top and mm. doing a lot of triplet kind of singing. And, you know, it, it became real sort of, not gangster, but, you know, it had a real R&B vibe and brought in the country. And there was a lot of people who really, really didn't like it. It was it was, it was like about as far away from traditional country as you could get. Yeah. And, but the other thing that sort of came with break country was kind of the cliche, you know, and it was like everything had to have you had to have a reference to trucks, beers, women, you know, and generally sunshine. Yep. And so I I actually sort of, as an experiment, I went, I wonder if I can write a bro country song, just mainly to hate it, you know. Mm. But um, so I did it as an experiment. I sort of went, well, I'm going to try and write this song and make it really cliche. It sort of turned out that I couldn't do it. I, I, I just, I cringed too much, you know. I felt this, this greasy mozzarella sort of, vibe coming out it was like I can't do it <laughs> and um, so I ended up sort of settling and it, it also was an experiment I tried to write a song in third person so I'd never written a song it always be me 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 or you you or whatever yeah. and so when I wrote third person so I set these two characters and, and tried to make them contrast and you know it was that she was kind of this real quiet girl which sort of reflected myself and my wife you know it's not our actual sort of love story how we met or anything like that but mm. it's sort of the two characters I was kind of the you know, the, the class clown and, and a musician and she was sort of really, really quiet, reserved and, and we kind of met, you know, in, in a bit of a, a weird way in a sense. And... 
and cross All right, now, so track number five, your the cover, Blonde Ambition, which I must say, sorry, prior to today, I didn't know it was a cover. I knew there was one oh, cover, but I wasn't sure which one, but, yeah, it's a great, great song as well. Well, she went to the store and she bought herself a bottle and she bought it all over her head. It said wait 20, but she gave it 30 minutes because she wanted it as blind as it could get. And folks in the diamond said she never looked fine. It was, again, like a lot of this album since come back with Glenn Hannah, but we, he's got a band as well called Faceless Men, which are they're kind of like the session cats in Australia, like the heaviest dudes that, that are, and they're phenomenal players and everything. And they they sort of get together at Tamworth every year, and they just put together a set list of kind of, you know, like those sort of cool technical cover sort of things? Yep. And um, so that we heard them playing this song, Blonde Ambition. And the, the original version's a little bit, it's not as heavy. Track number six, Free? Free, yeah. Um, now, what, what was the free. instrument at the start of this one? Was that the pedal steel or the, or the band? No, the instrument at the start is actually the very last hit of the song, uh, reversed, and then put it at the front of the song. We we found because the song comes out with that sort of you know, it comes out with a lot of gusto. And when we were listening back to the mixes, it was sort of hitting a bit too hard mm. and it sort of jarred your ears a bit for the rest of the song. It was really hard to to feel comfortable. Yeah. Um so we sort of needed a way to soften it. And um so I just had that idea for that sort of no, so, I actually can't remember what it is. Mm. Oh, that's it. Mm. Something like that. Mm. Um, I'd have to have another listen. I'll play it live. It's, you, know, you know when sometimes you're, you're not in the context? Yeah. You can't remember <laughs> what it's like. Just, <laughs> just do it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, um, so that one there was, I, I played that line, and I just said to Aaron, hey, just try and grab that last hit, put it in the front, reverse it. So I kind of had that... And then, then you get this brief little beat of a break, and then you actually have that first hit. Yep. And all of a sudden, it just changed that song. It was actually, you could listen to it again. It wasn't, didn't jar your ears as much at first, and it was a lot more comfortable to, to listen to. Yeah, and even the, uh, the little solo part you got in there, it's like a nice little melody I found as well. Some making little stones, which is, I reckon, is another one where you really send out your voice in that chorus part, you know, really rocky gravel type part. Yeah, definitely. See, that song was, uh, was a rare one where it's an actual character-driven song. So I've been watching a few documentaries on YouTube and stuff about the old-school chain gangs. Yep. I was really, really fascinated with how they used the songs to keep in time. Mm. And, um, so it was a, and it was all call and response. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's something that we use a lot in modern music as well. And you know, it's, it's, it's possibly 
come, it has a bit of a heritage in that kind of working song. Yeah. Not not even just in Changes, but in other working songs. You know, it's something that um, there's like a really cool clip as well. I think it's got the Uganda Post Office, and they they you know in the old day when they were using hardcore rub stamps, and um, like they used all of that stuff to keep themselves in time and to keep you know all that stuff happening, which was really really cool. So I tried to sort of add that into the song. And uh, that's that's where I sort of developed this character that, that was just it was just a really angry person, you know. Like he'd he'd done some stupid stuff and just was really angry, and and so now he's he's paying his time on, on the chain gang. So yeah, so it was we we tried to really mirror the sounds or, or copy that anger, and and we sort of wanted him to get angrier as the song progressed as well because he was just mm. you no, know, like that he was one of those people where the anger never left him; it just grew and grew and grew, and. So it was. We wanted to try and replicate that with the music as well. So it starts off with just a banjo, like a really acoustic instrument, yeah. and then by the end of the song, there's layers of electric guitar, slide guitar, Hammond's going crazy, you know, and yeah, like the acoustic guitars in there, then the banjo. So this song was musically, it was very much about layering. We yeah. wanted to go from acoustic all the way to really, really heavy kind of modern electric instruments, and. So you, um, you can definitely tell that, um, that that it builds and gets heavier and heavier. And so I wanted the sort of the voice to really mimic that as well. Yeah, yeah oh, that's good. So if people want to get it, where's the best place to get the the album? Best place to get it is you know, either on our website. You can order yourself a physical copy, which is ianarchibald.com, or just search Ian Archibald Bank. It's also an iTunes store, Google Play, everywhere like that. So excellent. Just search Ian Archibald Band, and you're, you're bound to find it. Beautiful. All right. Thanks very much, mate. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. No worries at all, but I'll talk to you real soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye. Now, again, thank you to my sponsors, Bung Pai Thai Massage in Bandura. If you haven't had a chance to get down there, make sure you check it out. They've got lots of different offers on at the moment. And also got new oils and creams to help anyone with pain relief. So if you have any sore spots, make sure you go check out Bung Pai Thai Massage. My other sponsor is Proactive Self-Defense in Thomastown. And the third one is my business, Roach Music School, which I have a concert coming up in December. So, so more information in the next podcast about that one.